All right, so today I want to talk about how faith in God makes a difference in the storms and difficulties of your life. How does faith make a difference? Now, faith simply means living with a daily dependence and trust and reliance on Jesus. When you become a Christian, you put your trust in Jesus. Uh, He's the one you hold on to to deal with the sin in your life. And when you trust in Him, He washes away our sins. But every day of your life as a Christian is a day living dependent upon Him. But the issue is faith does not come naturally to us. Worry comes natural to us. Fear comes natural to us. Doubt is natural. Anxiety is natural. Discouragement is natural. Looking at the lives of other people and complaining they have it better than you That's natural. Not being able to sleep at night because you're beating yourself up with the endless catalogue of what should life should be like is natural. Waking up with a knot in your stomach in the morning, rehearsing the problems of the coming day, that comes natural to us. Questioning the goodness and love of God, that comes natural to us. Faith isn't natural, and it's really hard. And so I want to think with you this morning about how is it that God changes us into a people who really do live by faith, that we really do trust Him. Now, I want to just um, share a book that I read this week by Alan Noble on getting out of bed, because for some of, all of us struggle with trust, but for some of us, uh, it's an enormous thing. And I read this very helpful book. Uh, He writes for those who struggle with panic attacks, despair, chronic health issues, anxiety, depression, or other mental afflictions who attempted to give up. So he talks about suicide in this book quite frankly and openly. And the title of the book's, um, he's quoting a moment in Cormac McCarthy's book, The Road, where there's a boy and a father and they're getting chased around by cannibals. It's a brutal book, <laughs> if you've read it or watched it. But uh, the boy asks his dad, Dad, what's the most courageous thing you've done? Uh, and the father says, getting out of bed this morning. And um, that's what this book's about, how for some of us, the most courageous thing we can do is just pressing on, even when we feel like giving up. Now, there are some books on suffering and mental health which are like a big... Um, hug. It's like you're comforted. That's not this book. This book is, is more a, it's, it's more a friend encouraging you to not give up. It's, it's more like um, not a friend lecturing you to do exercise, but a friend who'll go running with you. Do, you. do you get the difference? And very helpful. I It's a very short book as well. It's like two and a half hours audio book. Uh, the author reads it. So yeah, I just wanted to mention that because this sermon will Well, for some of you, you're really struggling, and I just wanted to pass that on. And the other thing is, I want to see more of us reading good Christian books this year. So there's one book review, 11 more to go. All right? Uh, There we go. All right, so if you've got a Bible, open up Matthew chapter 14, and this is how the story begins. Verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside to pray by himself. Later that night, he was there on the mountain alone, 
but the boat the disciples were in was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And in Mark's gospel, he adds, uh, Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So straight up, we find the disciples in a moment of great difficulty. They're trying to row across the Sea of Galilee, and they've been at it for eight hours, and they're facing an impossible headwind, angry seas, it's dangerous, it's exhausting, it's discouraging. Literally, it says that they were being tortured by their oars. That's the Greek word used here to describe what's happening. And in this moment of difficulty and danger, I'm asking the question, you ought to be asking the question, you know, how did they get there? How in the world had the disciples got themselves into this mess? Isn't that the question we ask ourselves when we're blown off course and tortured by the trials of life? How have I ended up in this mess? So how did they? Was it because they'd been disobedient to what Jesus had asked them to do? Was it because they'd made unwise decisions about what they would do in life? Or was it because they were overconfident in their abilities and found themselves in water too deep for them? And the answer is none of those reasons because verse 22, it tells us that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. So get this, the disciples are in this situation precisely because they obeyed Jesus. It's not because of their failure. It's not because they lacked wisdom. It's precisely because they were doing what God had told them to do. Now then the second question that comes, if that's the case, the second question is, well, why would Jesus place them in this situation? Why would he expose his friends to danger and exhaustion and difficulty? Why would he put them in a situation that's beyond their strength, beyond their wisdom and beyond their ability to do anything about it? I thought he was a God of love. Why is God doing this to them? And here's the thing, if you can't answer that question, then you are completely unprepared for the storms that will come and the suffering and the trials and the difficulties that will come in your life. See, why does God put us in these situations? Because God will blow you off course and he will place you in situations where you feel it's completely beyond your ability. Have you ever heard that thing, God will never um, put you in a spot that's beyond, what, what is it? God will never, anyone know what I'm talking about? Someone, hey? God will never give you something that you can't handle. Bum, bum, flatly wrong, right? <laughs> These guys can't handle this. And if you think God will never put me in a situation that I can't handle, you are completely unprepared for what's coming at you. Because here these guys, they feel beyond their ability. They are tortured by the oars. And he has sent them into this situation. Now, why does he do that? Well, for these guys, I think it's because he knows something about his disciples. And that is, he knows how little they trust him. He knows how quickly they will forget his power and love when things go bad. They, he knows how natural it is for them to rely on their own strength and wisdom rather than on his strength and wisdom. And he knows how completely unprepared they are for the day he'll be hanging on a cross and they'll all freak out. 
So he knows that. So he decides to take them where they haven't intended to go in order to produce in them what they could not achieve on their own. He decides to take them to a place that they have not intended to go to produce in them what they cannot achieve on their own. And God will do that for you. Here's what Paul Tripp says. He says, God will take you where you have not intended to go in order to produce in you what you cannot achieve on your own. Now, what do you call that when God does that? The Bible calls it grace. It's not the grace of relief. Sometimes God gives us the grace of relief, the grace of comfort, where it's as though he wraps us up in a big bear hug and assures us of his love and presence. And when those, those moments, they're precious. But sometimes he doesn't do that. And here, it's not the grace of relief, but it's the grace of heart refinement and of faith development. God's grace is not always a soft pillow or a cool drink of water. It's not always a fleecy onesie and a pair of Ugg boots. Sometimes God's grace doesn't remove the difficulty. Sometimes his grace blows us off course to a place we would not choose, a place beyond our strength, beyond our wisdom, beyond your abilities, a place of exhaustion, danger, and difficulty. And God, in his grace and kindness and love, he sends us to that place. And I think there are many moments in our life where we're crying out, God, where is your grace and kindness in this moment? And we're actually getting it. We're in the place where he's showing us. And it's not the grace of relief. It's what Paul Tripp calls the uncomfortable grace. He's got a brilliant article called the You Need a Theology of Uncomfortable Grace. Just Google that worth reading that sometime. And I think we forget the doctrine of God's uncomfortable grace, that life is messy, that life is hard, that there are trials and difficulties and heartbreaks and tragedies that the people God loves face. And when that happens, it's not as though God's plan for you has failed. No, no, God is working to complete what he's begun in you. And yet we're tempted, no, I'm God's child. Life should be easy. Life should be predictable. Life should be comfortable. But the Bible never teaches that. Acts 14.22 says, we must go through many, many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches that struggles are very much part of God's plan for us, that if you're a child of God, you must never allow yourself to think that the bad things happening are failures on God's part. You must never think that God's turned your back on you when these things happen. So grace is not always a a fleecy onesie and a pair of Ugg boots. It comes to us in uncomfortable forms because God is doing something inside of us and he uses storms and trials and difficulties to strengthen our reliance on him to make us more loving to others and to get our hope shaped towards his return. And so you must, don't listen to the lie of the enemy who would tell you God's forgotten about you because the difficulties in your life are actually, they are the proof and evidence that 
of God's transforming grace in your life. They're the proof of His redeeming love for you. You're not being forgotten, you're being loved. And so the question we need to ask is not, will God be gracious to me? Where is He in this? That's not the question to ask. The question is, will I recognize His grace to me when it comes? Will I recognize it? Because the disciples, they don't recognize it when it comes, and nor do we usually. So pick up the story at verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. So they don't recognize grace when it comes to them. They're like, ah, they're terrified. They think it's a ghost. Now, the question is, well, what is Jesus doing as he goes for a walk on the water? Like, has he... Is as though, you know, the night before he spent night in prayer and now it's a time of rest and relaxation, so he goes surfing the way he knows how, right? Walking on water. Is that what he's doing, just showing off? No, that's not what he's doing. Maybe he's come to actually rescue them from the storm. Is that what he's doing? That's not what he's doing. Because if Jesus in this moment wanted to save the disciples from the storm, he could have said a prayer on the shore of the lake and the wind would have died down and the waves would have ceased. That's all he would have had to have done, and they would have been able to row to the other side of the lake. But that's not what he does. So why does he take this walk? It's not because he wants to get the disciples out of the mess. It's that he wants to get the mess out of the disciples. That's what he's doing. He's not going after the storm. He's going after his disciples who are in the midst of the storm He's after them, and he's after their hearts, and he's after you. That's what he's doing in the storms of life. See, what do you think God should be doing when the storms crash in your life? You know, what I think he should be doing, he ought to be going after the storm. He ought to be going after the difficulty. You ought to be after, going after the hardship and the pain and dealing with that and putting an end to that. But often, that doesn't happen. And so we're in the storm, we're wondering, where, where is he? And that's because in the storm, he's not after the storm, he's after you and your heart. And he wants to get the mess out of you. He isn't necessarily going to get you out of the mess. Now, can I be honest with you here, right here, right now? Like, I'm a pastor. I know this, right? It's my job to teach this. So I believe it, but I don't really believe it. Because when I'm in one of these moments of difficulty and I've been blown off course and I find myself straining at the oars in a moment that's beyond my ability and I feel like I'm completely helpless and hopeless, I just want it to end. And I say to Jesus, Jesus, if you love me, you would get rid of this issue from my life. Stop it. Where the hell are you? Come to me. Do something. Don't you care? This is unfair. What's going on, Jesus? But that's not how grace works. Because Jesus is after me in the storm. He's not after the storm. He's after me in my heart. 
And he is much more committed to shaping me to be a person who trusts him. He's much more interested in that than in giving me my particular definition of happiness. He doesn't promise to give me everything I want. He promises to give me everything I need to become more like his son, Jesus. And who is his son, Jesus? A man who entrusted himself to his father when he was afflicted with suffering. So how is God going to turn me into a person who entrusts myself to him when I'm in suffering? He's going to use suffering. And so Jesus arrives on the scene, the wind's still blowing, the wave's still crashing. He doesn't stop it at first. That's not what he's after. He's after something else. And he arrives, doesn't stop the mess that they're in. And so notice what he does, verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Now, in Mark's gospel, we're told that uh, he passes by them, which I think means that what he was doing by walking on the lake is he, was, he wanted to take a big enough ark to be sure that everyone in the boat saw him. He wants you, when you're in the midst of your storm, to see his power and glory. And that's why he takes this ark walking around the boat and he doesn't just walk up to the boat and get in. That's what he's seeking to do. He's seeking to change the way they look. He wants to change what they're focused on. They're focused on the storm when they should be focused on him. And as he does this, it's as though he's saying, don't you get it? You're never alone with your life. You're never alone with your difficulty. You're never alone with your wisdom or your experience or your strength. You're never alone. I'm there with you in the storm. Look at me. I'm walking on the waters. I have the power to do something here. I'm here. Now, I know that. I just don't believe it, and nor do you. We doubt that every day of our lives because there are spaces where we don't believe that what God has done in Jesus is enough to deal with our past, our future, and what we're going through in the present. We don't really believe that he is what we need in the midst of our difficulties, storms, and trials. What we really need, what we think we really need is for him to deal with the mess. We don't really believe that the most important thing for him to do is for him to deal with the mess in our hearts. And so what we do, instead of looking to him, instead of reminding our hearts of who he is in that moment, when you and I are hit with a storm like these disciples and our plan for our life has been blown off course, we end up <laughs> not looking at Christ, we end up talking to ourselves and we preach a message to our hearts that is inconsistent with the message of the gospel. Now, what do I mean by that? The Lord of glory rocks up. He walks past the boat. They are in desperate need. He walks past them. And what do they say to their heart? They don't say, we're safe. He's with us. He's able to help. They say, a ghost. <laughs> they flip out. Same thing you do and I do. 
were placed in the position of need. And what does your heart tell your heart when you're in the storm? You end up preaching to yourself a false gospel. It's just as ridiculous as a ghost. Now, I like what Paul Tripp says. He says, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You are the most influential person in your life because you constantly are telling your heart things. You're always talking to yourself. And in these moments, you will preach to yourself either a false gospel of your aloneness and God's inability and indifference, either that's what you'll be saying to yourself in the storms, or you'll be preaching to yourself the true gospel of his presence, his power, and his grace to you. Where does your heart go when you're in the difficulty? Because I know where my heart goes. I'm tempted to say in my heart, I'm alone, no one cares, God's absent. What's the point? And this story is given to you to remind us that in the midst of the storm, he is present and that he's sufficient and that he's powerful and that he sent me into the storm and he is going to do something good for me through it all. And that's literally what Jesus is doing for these disciples. And it is what he will do for you. And so Jesus shows up, he walks past his disciples, they see his glory, they see his power, they see this is the God who walks upon the waves and the waters passing by. It would have been incredible to be there. But the disciples, they're not encouraged. They're not heartened. They're terrified. They think they've seen a ghost. And how do you reckon Jesus will respond to them? Because what happens next is stunningly beautiful. He doesn't yell at them. Uh, he doesn't say, I've had it with you guys. I mean, how many times do I have to show you my glory? They've just, he's just fed 5,000 people. <laughs> That's the story before. He's raised a dead girl. He's healed sickness. He's given a wedding party enough wine. He keeps revealing his glory. They've seen it. And he shows it to them again. And yet, it's a ghost. And so Jesus, he doesn't yell at them. He doesn't say, I've had it with you guys. How much longer do I have to put up with you guys? He doesn't say, I'm done with you guys. Get out of the boat, drown, I'm going to start over again. No, 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 he doesn't say anything like that because his grace is just so rich and wonderful. He comes to the disciples while still, the wind is still blowing and the waves are still crashing and he says to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Do you know the most common command in the Bible is don't be afraid? More than anything. Why does God have to command us to do that? It's because faith is not natural. It doesn't come natural. And Jesus rocks up and he speaks the most important words that could be spoken now, notice those three words in the middle there, it is I. It's actually hard to see in our English translations, but Jesus is actually referencing that famous moment in the Old Testament where Moses is by the burning bush, God reveals himself to Moses, and Moses asks the Lord God, what is your name? 
and God doesn't reply, it's John, it's Philip, it's Peter, it's Toby. God says, my name is I am. That's a weird name, all right? It's the verb to be, I am. Why does God give this as his name to Moses? Well, I think because God is the only one in the universe who gets to define himself. We like to try and define ourselves, but that's, we're not self-defined, but God gets to define. He is self-existent. He's not contingent on anyone or anything. He creates his own existence. He gives life to all, and he gets nothing from anyone. He is, I am. Not I was, he's not in the past, not I will be, it's about to happen, not yet happening. No, I am yesterday, today, and forever. I am able to help. I am present. I am powerful. I am full of grace and mercy and forgiveness. He is the sufficient, all-sufficient, the only all-sufficient being in the universe. And that word is the name God gave Uh, his people Israel in the Old Testament through the prophet Moses. It's the personal name of God in in the Old Testament. And isn't it interesting, Jesus walks on water up to his disciples, something only the creator of the universe could do, suspend the laws of gravity. He walks on the water. Only God can do that. And when he rocks up to his disciples, he says, take courage, I am don't be afraid. Now, our English translations just refuse to translate it, I am, because it just sounds so awkward, right? So it says it is I. But when you see that, it's the personal name of God from the Old Testament. This is the creator of the universe who is walking up to them. That's what you're, if you're a Jew, that's what you're seeing at this moment. That's what you're hearing from him. Now, you need to know this because when you are facing a situation in your workplace where some unknown person makes a decision and you lose your job and you're on your way home, you need to say to yourself, I'm not alone. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. When you're facing something in a relationship which is disappointing or heartbreaking that you never thought you would face, You need to remind yourself, saying, I'm not alone, and hear Jesus' words. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. When you're facing an unexpected illness and your body seems weaker than it's ever been and the fear of the unknown in your future is haunting you, you say to yourself, no, I'm not alone. Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. When someone has been disloyal to you, and you wake up in the morning with a knot in the pit of your stomach, you say to yourself, I'm not alone, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. When you've messed up your life, and you're facing the consequences of your failures, and you feel like a useless wreck, you say, I'm not alone, take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. So here is the Lord Jesus. He sees them overwhelmed by forces beyond their ability, struggling with forces they cannot handle, and he comes and speaks to them so gently, so lovingly. Take courage. It's me. The I am. Don't be afraid. And at this point, Peter finally gets it. 
And he asked Jesus, Lord, if it's you, if you, my friend, are actually the Lord of heaven and earth, then tell me to come to you on the water. Now that's faith. That's what it looks like to trust God. Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. Because he believes in the Lord, his power, his presence, his grace. And it's not just a theoretical belief, because when Jesus says, come, Peter gets out of the boat and walks towards him. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, verse 29, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, what's going on there? It's what goes on for all of us. Same thing. We start trusting God. We move in God's direction. Our eyes are on Jesus. And then two seconds later, what happens? We're looking again at all the problems around us and we take our eyes off Jesus and we start to sink and we freak out and we think, where is God in all of this? And we forget his power and presence and grace. And we drown. See, Peter, he starts off with so much faith. He actually walks on water. But instead of going on in faith, he goes on in sight. And he starts living by what he can see rather than by living based on faith in the one before him. See, we are called to live not by sight but by faith. Now, if you're a skeptic, we're not at all saying here, just have blind faith, step out into the dark. No, 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 becoming a Christian is not a leap in the dark, it's a leap into the light. Because what our eyes are on is the person of Jesus Christ who proved himself to be the strong, great, powerful Lord of heaven and earth. So it's not blind faith, it's like we're looking at Jesus. But he's not here right now. It's in whom we, him we trust. And so instead of looking at our situation and circumstances, we're looking to him, trusting him, trusting his plan. You see, you need to walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is not something you, that you have at the start of the Christian life. It's something that you need every day of your Christian life. It's the secret to the Christian life. And it's not something you need to muster up. Um, you look at the person of Jesus and you ask yourself, is he trustworthy? Well, if he is, I'm going to throw myself on him. It's not something you have to kind of, it comes from looking at the person who's trustworthy. When my kids, when I was teaching them to swim, you know, like they're scared of the water, but the fear evaporates as soon as they look at me. And it's not as though they've psyched themselves up to have faith in their dad. No, they know their dad. They trust their dad. They know he's strong. Of course I am. Uh, <laughs> they know he's good at swimming. So they just jump into the water. Faith is not, something, it's not a leap in the dark. It's a leap into the light, into the arms of the one who is strong and powerful. And you must walk in faith. And so the good news, and then the good news is, you know, Peter, he starts to drown, but he calls out 
to Christ, Lord, save me. And immediately, verse 31, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he said to Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus is not scolding Peter at this point. He's saying, brother, Peter, mate, you can trust me. Why did you think you couldn't trust me? Look to me. Come here. Let me lift you up. That's what he's saying there. And when they climbed into the boat, verse 32, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So here's the message. I missed that. He will never let you sink because you belong to him. You may fail him. You may feel like you're on the point of giving up and going down, but no, Jesus says, no one can snatch my people from my hands. And so when you think you're lost, his hand will be there and he will hold you. Just look to him and cry out with people, with Peter, Lord, help, save me. And he is great and awesome. Not only can he walk on the sea himself, he enables Peter to walk on the sea. Nothing is impossible for him. Faith looks to him. And then finally, they get in the boat. And notice, only after Jesus has redirected them to look to him, to trust in him, only after that does Jesus calm the storm. The waves die down, the wind ceases, and they're utterly amazed. And his whole point is, where is your trust? Do you trust me? Now, I want to wrap up at this point because, you know, what are we, what are we seeing here? Last week, Matt preached a great message, didn't he, on how Jesus satisf- satisfies our hunger. But this week, the lesson is Jesus sends us into danger. He sends his friends into danger. And in the moment of danger and distress and exhaustion, we will feel our weakness. And it's in that place where we feel like God's absent, the message to us is Jesus is your saviour. There will be times when he apparently sends you into danger and into places where He seems to be absent, and Jesus saying, don't be startled, take courage. It's I, don't be afraid. And notice, when he says that, he doesn't say, hey, nothing really to fear here. I just heard the weather report. It's going to be over pretty soon, all right? All going to be good. He doesn't say that. Some of us deal with the storms in our life like that. We say something, hey, this will pass. Things will be all right. Things will always get better. There's a rainbow behind every storm. Uh, but sometimes we minimize our problems that way. But Jesus does not minimize the storms in your life. He will never call it a small thing. He doesn't minimize the storm. He maximizes himself. And he says, I'm strong enough for you in this moment. He doesn't say the storm's not as bad as you think. Hey, the shallow's over there. No, he says, look to me. Trust me. Take heart. 
It's me. Don't be afraid. I want you to see who I am. I want you to see that I am the I am. I'm with you. I'm able to help you. I'm gracious towards you. That's how to deal with the storms in your life. Why does Jesus send storms into our life? Sometimes he sends them so that we might take hold of him and cling to him and stop trusting in the things of the world. Sometimes Jesus will get rid of the storms in your life, but at other times he says, I'm not going to get rid of the storm. I'm going to show you how to walk through the storm, walk over the storm, but I'm not going to go get rid of it. He will say, you're going to get beat up. You're going to get hurt. But I will bring you through it. And I'll show you how to walk by faith in it. So sometimes you're calm and Jesus will actually bring fear into your life. Sometimes you're afraid and he'll comfort you. He knows what he's doing. Sometimes you need to wake up to who you are and who he is, and he will wake you up. And at other times, you'll need comfort and peace, and he'll bring you that. He's out to make you into the person he wants you to be. And his desire for you is to bring you not safely through the world. His goal is not to bring you without injury through this world. His goal is to bring you safely into his kingdom on the last day. And he uses trials and storms to get us to look to him and not to grow weary. Now, I say that as I preach this, my heart's breaking because I know who's in the room. There are some of us in this room who terrible things have happened to. And it's incredibly painful. But you are an encouragement to the rest of us that you persevere in your faith, that you keep meeting with God's people, that you keep trusting him. It is an example to the rest of us. There's a lady at Morning Church called Naomi Tosek. She lost her husband last year. She's young. She's my age. Her husband died to motor neurone disease. And she keeps trusting him. It's hard. It's so hard for her. But she is such an example. She's the hero of faith in our church the broken one. And if that's where you're going, you're, you are a great example. To, you encourage us by your perseverance. Don't give up. You know, this is why we've called this series, this is the last in this series, we've called it Life in 8K because we don't see life in 8K and we don't see Jesus in 8K. And so what we do at the start of every year as a church, it's been good, hasn't it? We, we look at Jesus we look at a gospel, reminded of our Saviour. We're reminded of his wisdom, his care, and grace. And that's the goal. See him in 8K. And you'll be able to walk through the storms. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you weary and needing rest. Some of us mourn and we long for comfort. There are those of us who feel worthless and we wonder if you care. We failed and we need strength. And we've sinned and we need a saviour. 
So Lord Jesus Christ, come and defend the guilty. Save the ungodly. Befriend sinners so that we might know of your saving and transforming grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.